Welcome to the Truth of the Matters podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan, and this is episode 141. Of course, let's begin by recognizing and appreciating all of our new and consistent listeners. We thank you for tuning in, and I pray that this podcast, regardless of the episode, is a blessing to you. We also thank you in advance for continuing to press play at your own convenience. So, as I reflected over the week, I believe the Lord blessed me in two ways. Now, of course, before I tell you those two ways, I just want to thank you so much for this space and this opportunity that I get to talk to the audience each and every week. It's a blessing. I'm truly appreciative of this moment and it's one of the best parts of my day. Of course, I have Bible study today with Eric, but besides that, this is one of the most joyful experiences that I get to have where I get to express some of the inner thoughts and some of the conversations that I have with God in my devotional committed time to give you some sort of content that can be a blessing to you. So I just want to say that. And of course, I want to encourage people out there as well who have a desire to want to read God's word, study God's word, discuss God's word. We all need spaces of that sort because the only way you're going to grow is you're going to grow through conversation. You're going to grow through studying. And you're also going to grow with the expectation that your knowledge of God improves. I'm a firm believer of course, that growth doesn't happen in isolation, but it happens in community. So you can have all of these ideas and thoughts that you believe are true based upon what you've done individually. And of course, the Holy Spirit can co-sign those things. But I think it becomes much more fulfilling when you study them individually, you meet and talk with others, and then they co-sign what it is that you've learned in your space and time with God. Then you know you're progressing. Then you know with certainty that the experience that you're having individually with God is amazing, is great, and now you get to pour it out on other people. So, of course, I want to say that first. I enjoy every single one of you who press play. Okay, so how did the Lord bless me? Here are the two ways. With the intro that I provided, the little diatribe that I went on, is one of those ways. In my opinion, it's called biblical dialogue, right? So I've had two thought-provoking conversations about God's word this week. And in my opinion, when you have an opportunity to be a part of those conversations, I would say you learn to appreciate them over time because... It forces you to think deeply. It allows you to learn more about God's word. And it also inspires you to question, to address many questions that you have in interesting ways. Okay. It's always a blessing to hear the thoughts of others on the matters of Christ and who he is and how he's presented himself throughout scripture and how, honestly, the whole Bible is a reflective about who Christ is. The whole Bible is about Christ. 
So I'll share with you two of the questions that was asked in the conversation. One was, if our faith is based on what he has already done and not what he is going to do, then what's the purpose on continuing to have faith in God if he has indeed already addressed it? And the second question that was asked is, and this comes out of Genesis 31. Why did the man in Genesis 31 break the hip of Jacob? Now, I had the opportunity of answering both those questions, and I went really deep into my reasoning, and it was also a lot of fun. And I love the chance to talk God's word whenever, wherever an opportunity presents itself. Of course, I'm not going to give you those answers here, because... I can always address them, of course, in Bible study reflections, solo, or with friends. So maybe I might do that. That might be a great idea. So the second way the Lord blessed me is he actually used me to connect two individuals who knew each other, but just haven't spoken in a while. So a sister in Christ that I'm associated with was looking for an opportunity to do some volunteering work. I had just built a friendship with a pastor through another friend of mine a month ago. And therefore, I reached out to this pastor and asked him if there was an opening for someone to be part of his team to join and do some volunteering work. Come to find out, there was an opening. So I connected my sister in Christ to him, and Lord and behold, they knew each other. Small word in the body of Christ. I couldn't believe it, but there is a small world in the body of Christ, and they were happy to had reconnected, and now they intend to work together on Saturday. How would I go? I'm sure I'll hear all about it after the fact. Of course, this goes into our thing for the year, right? Be a willing instrument for God's righteousness. So, you can always, you know, when it comes to volunteering work, there's always a need and a use for more hands, that are willing to help for a cause to benefit others. Amen. Amen. So this was a beautiful moment for me because I was used by God to further his intent to get things accomplished. And that's always a good feeling. It's always a good feeling to be used for God's plans as he's using me as an instrument in some way. Truly a blessing. So my intent today is to bring something interesting up that I saw in scripture. It's something that some may overlook, but I think it's important to point out because at first I never noticed this when I read the Gospel of Matthew until this week. Of course, let's begin with prayer and then we will dive right in. Okay. All right. Father God, in Jesus name, we thank you for life, opportunity and progression. We know that life is not a sprint, but a marathon. And therefore, we appreciate the lessons along the way that, we'll, that we will learn. And we thank you for never leaving us nor forsaking us. As we come to your word today, I pray that we take something valuable out of it. Your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. And therefore, I believe it will be our job to discern what you provided us, which I believe will be thought-provoking as your word is the foundation of our lives as believers. Lord, your wisdom can be life-changing and mind-blowing. So I ask that 
if this insight is meant to be eye-opening to someone, let it open up their eyes so that they can see. I trust that your word was sent out to do what it was meant to do, to expose, to reveal the blindfolds that might be on people's eyes. I know that your word won't return void, that it would do what it was set out to accomplish. And I believe that truly and honestly. Lord, we say these things in faith and in confidence in you, knowing that your Alpha and Omega begin in the end, creator of all things, and anything that we ask according to your will, you will do. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So continuing with the Gospel of Matthew series, we left off at chapter 9, and we will be reading chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. So it's Matthew 9, verses 14 through 17. And our translation today is the English Standard Version. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patches tear away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skin bursts, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. So I covered my thoughts on fasting in the Gospel of Luke. And we did that in the Gospel of Luke series. And that was episode 112. Better to receive than achieve with fasting. Now if you want to know my thoughts on fasting. Then I encourage you to check out that episode. Today I want to talk about something that may be overlooked. Something I believe we may understand in different contexts but possibly not this one when i read jesus response to a question in this passage i was inspired to think critically here and therefore i wanted to depart the same behavior onto those who are open to adopting some of those habits being curious and letting that curiosity keep you engaged with passages that might provide revelational knowledge or might provide insight that could be useful to how you approach things and move accordingly in life. Now, here in this passage, you have John the Baptist's disciples questioning Jesus on what he isn't teaching his disciples to do and reiterating what John taught them to do and what they observed as the Pharisees practice fasting right so i sat back and said does these disciples of john have a point has jesus fallen short in his leadership role according to these disciples of john right they believe that he did and yes i know that's blasphemous obviously you know knowing who jesus is that's god 
but they believe that Jesus is not doing something that John has been teaching them. Also in this moment, they're obviously projection. Their projection is in the name of their tradition, right? So keep this in mind that fasting is a practice across many cultures. It's important. Traditionally, in Jewish culture, fasting is a discipline and should be taken seriously without question, no matter who's doing it. Now listen to what Jesus said in his response. He begins with a question rather than a response, ra rather than in his response with a statement. He begins with a question. And I thought that was fascinating to me is that a lot of times when questions are asked in order for us to give the appropriate response, there is a need to have a little bit more information. Some of us are eager to answer, but there are times in which maliciously people are asking questions to the answers they believe they already have is one conniving method. And another one is to trap you. And we've seen this happen in, in the scriptures where the Pharisees and Sadducees ask Jesus questions to trap him so that if he says something blasphemous, it could be cause to have him killed, right? So part of being thoughtful is understanding the question, making sure you understand the question, making sure there's clarity to the fact of why the question is being asked. Therefore, you can respond accordingly. All right. So rather than provide a response, he begins by asking a question. And that is, can a wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Now, the question that Jesus is posing is interesting because logically his response in context is a scenario. And in that scenario he's providing, he's emphasizing time. And that all of us should know that time is very valuable, right? He means two people who are part of a wedding, one being a guest, one being the bridegroom. He's asking a question in reference to those two parties. So let's take a look at the relationship between a guest and a bridegroom. I would like to believe that most guests who are invited to a wedding have some sort of relationship with the bridegroom or some sort of connection with the bridegroom, which would explain their presence at the wedding. Now, of course, we don't need specifics of how long the relationship might have been or where it started. But the important thing is to know that there is a comfort level between these two individuals so much so that they are present for a special day to be celebrated and witnessed. So why is Jesus highlighting the relationship between a guest and a bridegroom? Why does he say, can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? And then I remembered something he said later on. In the Gospel of Matthew 26, 11. Of course, we haven't gotten to this yet, but I believe it's apropos, right? There's a point to this. He says, for you will have the poor with you always, but you will not always have me. 
For you will have the poor with you always, but you will not always have me. Going back into our text today, I realized that Jesus placed himself in a scenario to make a defining point. And that point is this. For starters, anyone that's followed the story of Jesus knows that his time on earth was limited in terms of his ministry. We knew he grew in favor with man and with God, and that took a process, which is what the human experience is, right? As a child growing up, you go through a process, and then once you become an adult, whatever your mission or whatever your purpose is set out to do, that is what you do. Now, Jesus, again, his ministry only lasted three and a half years. And while Jesus was here, he was doing a lot in a short period of time, right? He was teaching. He was healing. He was questioning systems that exported people. He was questioning things that need to be questioned, right? If we're being honest, let's just be honest. He raised awareness to things that needed to be highlighted. And what some people were fearful to do because of the leadership. Also understand that the Roman government and their relationship with the Pharisees and Sadducees was a very interesting one. Because there was an expectation to pay taxes. There was an expectation to do certain things. And then they were given the opportunity to practice their religious beliefs. Also to highlight most of the Jews who were expecting the coming of the Messiah thought he was going to lead a revolution against the Roman government. You look through biblical history, most of the leaders that were called into power and had the emphasis or the help of God were men of war, were men who could fight. Jesus coming and the way he came was so much much so much different than what they expected. I believe, right, without a doubt, that Jesus knew he was going to be a pivotal figure historically. The impact that he would have on people, the impact that he would have on a nation of people soon after that would place their faith in him, I believe without a doubt he was well aware of the way he was going to act, the way he was going to handle things, the way he was going to carry himself. Eyeball, eyeballs were on him at every point and stage in his life. He knew for certain that fasting was not more important than him at the moment. So, what did he do? He told the truth, and that was... The disciples needed to appreciate him while he was still here. And by doing that is hanging on to his every word because everything Jesus said brought about life. Jesus declared when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Part of being the truth is, on the other hand, appreciating and accepting his words of wisdom and insight. Right? His words are in fact life, right? Everything he did would be an example to us. It would be an example in a way in which we will monitor our lives after. This is why he asked the question, 
Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? And if we're being truthful, the answer is no. And why is the answer no? Well, let's think about this logically for a second. Philosophically, follow my example here. If a family member, a friend, a husband, or a wife is always around you, can you really miss them? I think not. Why? Because they are always around, right? There's no gap in between you and them. There is no absence that you can pinpoint or that you can talk about. To really miss a person, you need time apart. And if you do not have that time apart, then missing them will be hard because they are always present. Right? Jesus says this in verse 15. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So here's what I want you to consider. Points that I am about to make from this point on are very critical. So hear me out, please. Understand who Jesus was dealing with when it came to his disciples. They honestly were still trying to figure things out. Remember, they left the lifestyles, the occupations that they had to follow Jesus. They followed him, and yet they still were puzzled when it came to who he was and what they were doing and why they were doing it. At one point, when Jesus provided a hard teaching, 12 remained. And of course, Jesus highlights, and one of them is the devil. Those disciples at that point felt that the teachings that he was providing was difficult and hard, right? At this moment in time, these disciples that remained said that they left everything that they had to follow him. And of course, Jesus made it clear that none of that would be in vain. Another thing to consider is that these disciples that were following him were unqualified. They were not qualified in any way. So understand. Right. Fishermen, tax collectors. Right. We can go down the line of what those disciples were up to this point. What Jesus had to offer them was going to be much more meaningful than they ever thought or imagined or considered. OK. John the Baptist and his disciples might have been with him longer than Jesus was with his. Do we know how far along they were in terms of knowledge and purpose? No, because they weren't the main characters featured in the biblical narrative. Now we can speculate. We can think about, you know, how long that possibly was, but that would be too much. Right. We would be uncertain to draw certain conclusions. What we can tell you is that obviously John came before Jesus and what John taught, right, was meaningful to people. Obviously, he came before Jesus in preparation for the one who he says he is not worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. Now, of course, we do have these disciples of John who is questioning Jesus and his methods of leadership and when it, and when it comes to fasting. And the practice of fasting, why has he not, why has he kept or didn't teach his disciples certain things? 
And the conclusion I came with through reading the scriptures that Jesus had much to teach his disciples. Right. It's without question that Jesus, in fact, said this in the gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So I just just imagine. All the things Jesus was doing, why they were following him, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, feeding the hunger, the hungry that followed him. I'm pretty sure there was a lot of questions. There was a lot of dialogues that were not noted that he had to walk them through. Right. Can you imagine God coming in the flesh, dwelling among his people in creation and them not having a clue on who he was? needing clarity and discernment. And obviously those things came much more later, right? Thomas in the gospel of John chapter 20, verse 28 was right to say, my Lord and my God, which means obviously his discovery of who Jesus was came later. It was revealed to him later. But can we say that they had the inside knowledge up until this point, no. Remember, Peter cut off an army official's ear at a point because he thought it was about leading a revolution. When Jesus told him to put his sword away, that he's not come to do that. There was so much questions. Even when it came to Jesus having a conversation with Peter, told him about that he was going to die with him. And Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan, right? He had to address Peter. And disturbed the intent that he had. There's just so much to it, right? If we continue with the idea of Jesus developing his disciples, here comes another point where he had to teach them how to pray, right? If we go to Luke 11, 1, it says, One day Jesus was praying in, in a certain place. When, his, when he was finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. We could also lean on about how Jesus had to explain possibly his sermons, right? Especially a specific one, right? And of course we haven't mentioned it here, but if we go to Matthew thirteen thirty six, he says, then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him and said, explain clearly to us the parable of the weeds and the fields. So that's another instance where they didn't all have the knowledge and insight and the understanding about some of the things they were being asked to do or or actually participate in. With that being said, I believe Jesus wanted his disciples to treasure him in his time here on earth. I believe that Jesus wanted his disciples to follow him so that they would learn on the job. And sometimes that's the best way to learn. It's on the job. Right. Because if you have conversations and dialogues, there's a huge difference between us talking about these things and being present in the moment of these things. Sometimes the experience is much more fulfilling to a person than just what we say. And that happens in a lot of cases. Right. In sports, you could draw out plays. But until you go out there and make the necessary adjustments, you'll learn that maybe the play that is drawn out is not going to play out exactly the way that it is. Okay. Just like the scriptures themselves are here to inspire us and motivate us. But you also got to take in consideration the emotional aspect to it as well. This is where we have analytics that play roles 
in sports and can sometimes shift the mindset and the process, but it doesn't take into account the emotional, the tiredness, the soreness, everything that goes into executing something, right? And these are the things we have to consider that the scriptures are here to give us instruction and suggestions on how we can handle things so that moments and situations don't get so chaotic that you can't fix things. So we need some sort of direction, some sort of standard. And that does not mean that it's going to be addressed and fulfilled to a T, right? That's just not living life. It's just not living life. I believe all his disciples were under studies of a main act, which was Jesus. And what I mean by under studies, under studies in a play is the individual that's studying and is next in line, right? A great example of that is Joshua to Moses. Moses was a leader. Wouldn't say Joshua was a literal understudy, but he was there. He was present. He saw how things was. And one of the things that Jesus, well, not Jesus, God says is that as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. As I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. Which means the power, the influence, the opportunity to have counsel was then going to be part of Joshua's arsenal and leisure. So, the understudy aspect just speaks to learning behind somebody else because your time is going to come. When that time comes, we don't know, but it's coming. And the better prepared you are, the better, the more comfortable you will be to step in to handle things. Remember that our goal as disciples is to be every bit Christ-like. So what better way than to prepare than to be like Christ than to follow him and learn from him? It was Jesus who said something very profound in the gospel of Luke chapter 6 verse 40. It says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. I'm going to repeat that verse one more time. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So Jesus knew it would be all about timing. This was why he returned after his resurrection and spent time with his disciples, preparing them for service as it pertains to the spreading of the good news. He told them about the coming of the gift, right? The Holy Spirit and that they would and where they would need to be and why it would need to happen. Right. Power behind it. OK. He told them. These things in preparation. He knew once he ascended to the heavens that they would be ready. That they would be ready. That they would be assisted with the Holy Spirit, the experience of walking with him. And then when it comes to the practice of fasting, it would be that much more meaningful and valuable to them now that they are in the appropriate place 
where they can receive such a practice traditionally that it can help them on their journey in any capacity, right? What I haven't mentioned is that there's a portion in the Gospels when it speaks about the need of fasting when it comes to getting rid of a demon within a person, right? There's an emphasis on that, and that emphasis speaks to what was needed to be done in order to address an issue. Now, this is a message to all of us that before anyone just jumps into something like fasting, you need to be educated on the matter. And I'm sure that the disciples who followed Jesus in the beginning stages were not ready for fasting. The same goes for new converts out there. I suggest that you don't, you shouldn't feel the need to keep up with the Joneses. I say that again. I suggest that you don't, and you shouldn't feel the need to keep up with Joneses. Instead, slow down in this faith walk of yours. Fasting is not a game. Communion is not a game. If you're not ready to turn your life over to Christ, then you have to figure out why. You need to understand what predicament that you're in. If you're not ready to turn your life around and live the Christian difference, if you don't see yourself at the moment making the hard choices that require change, don't force yourself to do so yet. Obviously, we know that the comparison is the thief of joy. Carrying your cross is a commitment. And these are tough decisions. And they're tough asks when it comes to what you're deciding to do. I remember when I first got baptized, there were certain things I needed to be educated about. Because again, culturally, baptism, culturally, fasting is not, we are not the ones that develop it. And it's been happening for a long time for different reasons. So understanding the histrionics of those practices will help you understand, at least in this requirement of faith as being a Christian, a follower of Christ, why we do it. What does it symbolize for us? It's important to understand that there are some people out there that are much more concerned and interested with who first started it. And because they can identify who started it, then it must mean that everybody copied it. Right? And the devil's good for that. Taking things that appear to be practiced or started in one particular culture of people, then all of a sudden everybody's mimicking that culture. And therefore, everything else is not true. Just because something came first does not justify or mean that it's right, and it's not mean it's mimicked and copied. We get the same concept when we look at this, the flood story. Historically, there are different explanations to the flood story. You don't know that. Um, in regards to what happened. I'll never forget in my history class, they said it was Gigamish. It was a story of Gigamish about the flood story. These are some interesting things when you learn the histrionics culturally and other backgrounds. So we must not be ignorant friends. And therefore have the histrionics on our side. And maybe at one point I'll give you a little history lesson to some of these stories. 
It's important to know that because it will be brought up and it will challenge your faith. And when you're ignorant of those things, it can shake in your faith. Why? Because then you start wondering if, in fact, what you believe is something that you should and ought to believe. So the last few verses of the passage today are very profound and speak for themselves. Let's begin at verse 16. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patches tear away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Verse 17. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skin bursts and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But no new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. So, what do I get out of this little section? Don't mix the two lifestyles together. That's a no-no. If you're not going to be in Christ and not commit yourself, then don't. If you don't believe, then don't. If you do believe, then guess what? An encounter with Christ requires, and there's an expectation, that your life is not going to be the same. Which means certain practices, certain belief systems, certain things that you did. You'll have to abandon them. Why do you have to abandon them? Because you can't serve two masters. You'll be envious. One will be envious of the other. Right? And God made it clear. He's a jealous God. You have to know that moving forward. This is something that you want to do. Not forced upon you. Not pressed upon you, but something that you come after you reflected to realize that this is something you want to pursue. I'm not saying that you must be perfect, but you must know that you are committed to changing in the long run. Which means your walk will have some stumbling in it. Again, your walk will have some stumbling in it. You're going to fall. However, your desire to be like Christ and keep the faith will bring you to the finishing line. And guess what? Jesus will be with you every step of the way, even in your mistakes and the flaws. He will, I repeat, will not leave you nor forsake you. And on that note, I want to finish with devotional time. But before I finish with devotional time, I want you to consider everything that I shared with you today. And pairing with episode 112, episode 112 specifically speaks about when you fast, it should never be about achieving the fast. It should be about receiving something out of the fast. If you ever do anything with the intent to just finish, but you don't reap the benefits of it, then the purpose is lost. The best example that I could provide, I can actually provide to you is exercising. If you're exercising, you're doing a routine, the goal should never be to just complete the routine. The goal should be to see progress within the routine, which means if you have to lower your weight to do and provide great form, then you should do that. Why? Because ultimately, you want to make sure that you're taking advantage of every rep in the routine. Not trying to lift extremely heavy, getting super exhausted. And then your form is terrible, but you're completing a routine. There are so many people 
that go through something and they don't appreciate the process. Today, I'm just emphasizing on the fact that there was a progression that took place with the communication and the progress of the disciples who followed Jesus and where they were and where they ended up. And Jesus, being an amazing teacher, understood that for a lot of us, it's a process. He himself went through a process. And part of that process, scolding and shaping and developing the character of who you are, can put you in a place where not only would you feel comfortable, but you would know why you're doing the thing that you're doing. And that's what I want to emphasize today. It's okay to master the unstudied. Hmm, that might be what I titled this podcast because I still haven't yet figured out what the title would be because in part of reading this and learning this, I'm struggling to find out what the title is going to be of this episode. To me, it has to be somewhere along the lines of embracing the student role, embracing the understudy role. And when it's your turn to step to the front, you'll be ready and prepared to handle what's next. So with that being said, let's jump right into devotional time. So can continuing with how faithful our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is, how about this beautiful verse to close before the prayer? And that's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your commitment to see us flourish. We are also appreciative that you want to bring the best out of us, no matter what it takes. If that requires us taking the same test over and over again, so be it. Until we pass it, please don't let us go any further, because only you know what's next. All good things are upstream, and for us to handle ourselves, we need to trust you and trust the process that you are taking us through. Lord, protect us all as we go throughout our week. Let our eyes not depart from your word. Let us continue to fellowship with one another because that's important. Again, we don't grow in isolation, but we grow in community. And of course, the Truth in the Matters podcast audience, until next time, be careful, be vigilant, and watchful. And if you agree with that, please finish with us as we say, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.